Today, the Lord has something very, very unique for you. Two words that can change your life if we embrace them. Don't worry. Now, right now, you may be thinking to yourself, oh, that's easy for you to say. No, 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 no. I may not know what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. And he says to you, don't worry. Huh? Don't worry. Nope. Don't worry. You may find yourself asking, well, what in the world do we not have to be worried about these days? We've got a pandemic going on. We've got political disaster, it seems like, everywhere around us. And I'm, I don't know what's going on. My kids are at home and their school won't reopen. And I'm insecure about my job. And uh, you can just go down the list of things that you think you need to be worried about. So this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. And when we do, I want you to notice how many different times Jesus says, don't worry. Here's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? That's a rhetorical question. Yes, it is. And the body more than clothes? Yes, it is. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here Jesus addresses the subject of worry. Now it's on the heels of a lengthy passage where he talks actually about money and where our treasure is, our heart will be also, and that we can't serve two masters and these kinds of things. And so in context, it has a lot to do with worrying about how we're going to be provided for by God. And so he walks people through these everyday examples to help remind them that no matter what you're, you feel like you're going through, no matter how scary it might be at the time, that we can live without anxiety or without worry because we know that our Heavenly Father is going to provide for us. So I want us to just pull a few things out this morning to, to reflect on, to think about and pray about and to implement into our lives as we go through this week. Uh, so here we go. Uh, first, he says that life is more than circumstances. Life is more than circumstances. He goes, is, is the body not more than clothes? Uh, is, is life not more than food? Now, he's getting ready to assure us of God's provision for us, but before he says that, he goes, I think you just worry about that stuff more than you ought to. And he says, that's what the pagans do. Pagans is just kind of an expression for people who don't know the Lord. Um, and he says, that's what people who don't know God do. They run after those things because they don't know where they're going to come from. But, but you don't need to do that because God is going to provide for you. But, but just on the surface, just at a very basic level, we are more than what we have. Uh, we are more than our circumstances, that the life that God has given us is something to be treasured and enjoyed and worry-free despite the circumstances that we might be in. So even if right now the circumstances that you're in may not be the, the best for you or the, what you were looking forward to the most or whatever, we don't need to worry because of them because 
no matter what happens, we don't pursue those things first. We're off pursuing the kingdom of God, whereas the pagans or, or those who don't know the Lord might go off and pursue money or houses or cars or things that make them feel more secure because they have a, a possession of those things rather than trusting their heavenly Father who knows that they need them and is willing to provide for them. Secondly, he asks a really simple question that most of us do very little reflection on, but it's worth thinking about. What good does it actually do to worry? Have you ever had one of those cases where after you get through a big trial in your life, and you, you go back and you say, well, you know what I think the secret was to getting through that? Was how much I worried about it. I mean, if I hadn't worried about it, uh, I just don't know if God would have saved the day. I mean, most of us know in, in practice that worrying itself doesn't do any actual good. Now, that's different than concern. Uh, concern means uh, I'm thoughtful about something. I'm doing an appropriate action in a non-reactive way in response to what's going on. I'm doing what I think God would have me to do. So if I'm doing what God would have me to do in a responsible way in the situation I'm in that maybe I'm concerned about, I know what, what he's not asking me to do is to worry about it. What he's asking me to do is, for instance, hey, if I feel like I'm having a heart problem or something like that, then I'm going to say, hey, I ought to do something about that, and I'll get up and I'll go to the doctor. That's concern. Worry is when I maybe don't go to the doctor and I just sit there and I roll around all night every night worrying about what might be wrong with me. Now most of us have some experience doing both of those things, but Jesus makes a really important point here. He says, listen, it doesn't add a single hour to your life. Now we know medically it might take hours off your life actually to just worry yourself sick all the time. Uh, you lose sleep. Uh, you can end up with ulcers and all sorts of things wrong with you, but the bigger problem is actually very much spiritual. It gets us focused on the here and the now and, the, and what's right in front of us instead of the bigger picture of what God has done in the past, what he's doing, and learning how to trust him as our Heavenly Father who loves to give us good things. There, there was a researcher, his name was Lucas Lafreniere, and he did a study of worry, and he basically got people to sit down and to write out their worries at about 10 o'clock at night. Now, I don't know about you, but 10 o'clock is kind of when things get weird. Uh, if you have something to worry about, 10 o'clock at night is kind of when it all comes and pays you a visit. And so he said, all right, I want you to sit down, write down all the things that you can think of that you're worried about. And then he fast-forwarded some length of time and went back and asked them how many of the things that they were worried about had actually taken place. Take a wild guess. What, do you, what percentage do you think actually took place. It was 9%. 91% of all the things that they'd worried about never even happened. And then what Jesus might say here is like, even if they happened, like, what good did the worry itself do? I mean, did a person end up with a better outcome because, hey, you know what, I, I, I stressed out about it nonstop until it was over. And so what Jesus offers us in place of anxiety and stress and, and, and worry is trust. It's trust in our heavenly Father. So how do we overcome worry in our lives? In verses 26 to 30, Jesus employs a particular kind of, of argument. In Hebrew, they would call it a call the Homer argument. We might use it if we're using Latin or Italian, uh, a fortiori, which just means greater than. So uh, you might say, um, you know, hey, if one chicken nugget is good, how much more is 10 chicken nuggets good? Uh, something like that, right? So in our world, uh, Jesus uses it all the time to say, hey, listen, you see how God does this. Well, how much more? does he do this for you? And so there he uses the, the illustration about God taking care of the birds and the grass and the flowers of the field. And then he moves to, from there, 
hey, take a look at the birds, take a look at the flowers and the grass, and see how God has provided for them and how he takes care of them. And, and when you see that, then you know how much more he takes care of you. And they don't even do anything. And he's, he's basically saying birds don't, you know, they, they might go out and, and go look for a worm or whatever, but they, don't, they can't store things away in barns. They can't do any of that kind of stuff, but God still takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you who are his children? Now notice again how Jesus refers to God throughout this whole passage as our heavenly father. God is our heavenly father. And it takes a while sometimes for us to grow in our faith to the point that we can really embrace what that means and all that it means. I think some of us, we, either because we feel too self-sufficient or because we don't think that we're worth loving enough. Uh, we distrust the idea of God being Father because we think somehow it makes him weak. Well, Jesus doesn't seem to see it that way. He seems to see it. No, that means that this God of the universe, the one who provides for even the birds and the grass, provides for us as well, even greater than he provides for them because he really loves us. We are his children, in fact. I love this story of this little girl in Colorado. Her name was Sydney Farenbrook. And so she was out in the yard one day, and she was really, really scared. So she ran up to a cop that was there. And she asked him if he would come into the house, and he would help her search the living room for monsters. And if there were any monsters, that he would get them out of there. So they go, they go together in the house, and, and she, you know, looks under the couch, and he looks under the couch and, and everything. And he shines a flashlight under the cushions of the sofa and everything like that. And she says, okay, now can you check this place? And so they went through together. And then when it was over, she felt like all of a sudden now she could sleep in the house again. And ironically, the newspaper reporter who, who told the story said that she wants to grow up and be a cop and help other kids know that there aren't monsters in their house. Okay, that, that, that provision, that, that sense of, I know you're scared, but you don't need to be because your heavenly father is there with you, making sure that you're safe, that the, that the monsters are gone. And in the person and work of Christ, that's exactly what God does. So he gives us this beautiful picture of God as our Heavenly Father, which is a big part of how worry leaves our lives. When we realize that not only can God provide for us, but that God actually desires to do it. He, he wants to do it because of his great love for us, just like I like to provide for my own children. I don't want them sitting up worrying about where their next meal is going to come from, who's going to pay the mortgage. I don't want them worrying about those things. And children usually don't because they trust their parents and they know their parents want to provide for them. And in the same way, that's how God feels about us and what he does on a daily basis to provide for us. So he's not surprised by things. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not caught off guard, those things that pop up in your life that make you really worried about something. Hey, are my kids ever gonna be developmentally normal because of all the time they've been out of school? Uh, are, th are their social connections ever gonna reemerge? Are, uh, what, what about my job? Um, you know, are my commissions ever gonna be back to where they were because my commissions have gone through the floor since COVID started and all these different things. Hey, you know, uh, what's church gonna be like when we all get back together? I mean, we can choose to worry about those things. But Jesus says, if you do, it's not gonna help you. Worrying about it won't help you. What helps you is knowing that you have a heavenly father who loves you more than you can imagine, who has power beyond your wildest imaginations, who likes to use that power and provision to care for you. 
Now, if you want something that will blow your mind, think, think on that for just a little bit. See, children aren't prone to worry because they assume their parents will take care of them. And in the same way, we really shouldn't be sitting around worrying all the time because we know that our Heavenly Father will take care of us. Commentator William Barclay wrote this in his commentary on Matthew. He said, those who feed their hearts on the record of what God has done in the past will never worry about the future. Worry refuses to learn the lesson of life. We are still alive and our heads are still above the water. And yet if someone had told us that we would have to go through what we've actually gone through, we would have said it was impossible. The lesson of life is that somehow we've been enabled to bear the unbearable and to do the undoable and to pass the breaking point and not break. The lesson of life is that worry is unnecessary. That's what Jesus says. It's unnecessary. It's not necessary because our great and mighty God is our heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. And we can look at the birds and we can look at the flowers and we can look at the grass and we can see if he loves them that much to provide for them, how much more does he love us? So, a couple of other points here. One of the things Jesus seems to say here is that the bigger our God, the bigger our faith. The bigger our faith, the smaller our worry. Let me say that again. The bigger our God, the bigger our faith. The bigger our faith, the smaller our worry. So in here, Jesus talks about, he says, uses that phrase, oh, you have little faith. Now, that can be really, I don't know, uh, <laughs> we can worry about that. If he's saying that about us, I guess, is, is, is the proclivity to do. We, we, we go, oh, no, do I not have enough faith or something like that? No, don't worry about that yet either. Be concerned. <laughs> what he says is, listen, you, you have, when, when you demonstrate having little faith, when you sit around worrying about whether or not God is going to provide the basics of your life, whether or not he's going to care for you as much as he cares for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. And so he uses that term, oh, you of little faith, in different parts in Matthew. And almost without exception, he's talking to the apostles when he uses it. So, for instance, uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, he uses it when they show up and they say, hey, we can't feed all these people. And he says, you have little faith. And then he, he works one of his greatest miracles. When the apostles come to him and they try to cast out demons and they can't do it. And he says, listen, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to, to, to move and it would do it. You have little faith. So there's this, this pattern that he has. When Peter comes out to him on the water, he calls Peter to come out uh, on the water. And so Peter comes out and then he starts to sink. And he says, Peter, you have little faith. When the waves are going all around the boat, there's a storm going on. The apostles are out on the Sea of Galilee and the, the, the waves are whipping up, and they're terrified. Jesus is asleep on the boat. They wake him up and say, don't you care? And Jesus says, well, he calms the waves and then tells them, oh, you have little faith. The bigger our God, okay, when we understand how powerful, amazing, caring, loving God is, that builds our faith. The more faith we have, okay, the, the smaller the, we're, the worry we're going to have. Because no matter what I'm facing, I know that the same God who calmed the waves, who, who fed the 5,000, who cares for the birds, who cares for the grass and the flowers of the field, cares for me as well. And so whatever comes my way, I know he's got it. He's got it. And he wants to have it, if that makes sense. He doesn't want me carrying that around. He doesn't want me walking around thinking that I can take care of those kinds of things. 
and he has, by the way, a remarkable track record of provision. Now, I want to give you just a few steps, and maybe you can even try and memorize these for the week, to living without worry, okay? Um, the first one Jesus gives us is actually remember what he does. Well, look at the birds, he says. Look at the flowers. Remember what God is doing right now all around you. You know, you might say, go bird watching. Now, it's funny, we, uh, uh, a couple of weekends ago when I was preaching live in the park, uh, there was a strange bird that kind of flew out of nowhere right over my head. And everybody saw it. It was big, and, and it flew low. And everybody seemed to see it coming from a distance because I could watch everybody's eyes kind of look up. And the thing flew right over my head, and, and off it went, right? I wish I'd been preaching this text right when it happened. It would have been perfect timing. But, in fact, it was really distracting. We all went kind of, what was that? Well, when, I, when we get done... We have all these, uh, apparently, these uh, snotty bird watcher types among us that, that all knew exactly what species of bird it was. They all knew, uh, you know, where it was and what its habitat was, and they were eager to share. I mean, I didn't know this. There are 45 million people in the United States who are bird watchers. They watch birds. Well, bird watching won't hurt you in building your faith if you follow what Jesus is saying here. So this morning, I was in my backyard. There's a little hummingbird out. He's buzzing around, getting his little pollen. And as I'm going over my thoughts for the sermon and hearing the words of Jesus saying, consider the birds. Okay, God is doing stuff all around us all the time that shows his care and his provision. So if you want to live without worry, do some reflection on what he does, what he's doing right in the here and the now. Secondly, remember what he's done there is great power in looking to what God has done in your life in the past, what he's done among his people in the past. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David goes to fight Goliath, Saul is the one, he's the king, he's the one with all the military training, he's the one with the best armor in all of Israel, and really when you're the king, you have one job, make sure that Israel is safe. Saul is terrified of Goliath. He's absolutely, uh, you know, his knees are knocking, he won't he won't do anything, and in fact, he's trying to bribe everybody around him to see if he can get one of them to go fight Goliath. Well, David comes to run an errand, basically, shows up and says, hey, what's going on here? Well, this guy's over here, and he's cursing the armies of God, et cetera, et cetera. And David says, I got this. But then the part that we often forget is why he says he feels like he has it. And he says, you know, when I was a shepherd, I'd be out in the field and trying to protect the sheep, and here'd come a lion or a bear, and... I would strike it and kill it, and God gave me victory over those animals. And so he's going to give me victory over Goliath. And that's what happened, right? There's a confidence that comes from observing what God has already done in your life. Nothing makes you feel victorious like victory. <laughs> when, when you win, when, when you see how God delivered you through that, when you see how God got you through these different things, or how you, when you reflect on on how he's gotten his people through over the years. And going back and calling those to mind, there's a whole canon of psalms called the historical psalms. And they literally are just uh, packed full of recollections of the great things that God has done in the history of Israel. One Davidic psalm that I really like, I'm going to read it to you from the message, is Psalm 61. We're going to read 1 to 5. Listen to this. This is just amazing. God, listen to me shout. Bend an ear to my prayer. When I'm far from anywhere, down to my last gasp, I call out, guide me up high rock mountain. You've always given me breathing room. 
a place to get away from it all, a lifetime pass to your safe house, an open invitation as your guest. You've always taken me seriously, God, and made me welcome among those who know and love you. And so again, remember what he's done. You, he, you hear that? You've always done this. You've always given me this. You've always provided for me. You've always invited me here. You've always protected me. So remember what he's done. Third, remember who he is. Now, that's not just the majesty and might of God. Here in Matthew 6, it's really God is our heavenly father. Remember who he is, that he loves you and he cares for you, that he actually wants to do good things for you. He delights in doing for you. And it's in that willingness to embrace our Heavenly Father. Okay, embrace that, that idea of God uh, for, for all that he is. Not just the God who thunders from heaven, but the God who makes sure that the birds and the, and the flowers are all cared for. How much more will he care for us? The closer we get to our Heavenly Father, the closer God gets to us. The greater our faith, the greater our faith, the less our worry. And then lastly, remember he's first, always. If we're pursuing other things first, is what Jesus says. He goes, the pagans chase after all that stuff, uh, the provision that they think they can get by going out and pursuing clothes and food and all that stuff, um, and chasing after those because they don't know that they have a heavenly father that provides that for them or would provide that for them. And so we remember in our seeking first the kingdom of God, that's the crescendo of this passage, is so... Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. God is a lot of things, but he's not second. He's first all the time. So as we close, let's just remember this. Um, worry can create a fog that will blind you, and you'll walk through this huge, huge fog all the time. You'll feel like you're walking around, you don't know what's out there, and you'll be anxious, and you'll be worried. You know, the... The, uh, the Bureau of Standards here in the United States says that a dense fog covering seven city blocks, that all of that water that it takes to do that could be contained in one cup. It just takes a little bit of that to fog everything out. In the same way, worry can, can take your life and just impact it in ways that you can't see anything except the challenges, you can't see anything except What's wrong? You can't, what about this? And what about this? And what if that happens? And what if this happens? And Jesus just says, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Don't worry. Your heavenly father knows what you need. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. Nor is he, are you going to have to pry good things from his hand? He gives them to us. And so now, regardless of what it is that you're worried about, Worried about your parents, worried about your kids, worried about your job, worried about COVID, worried about the church, worried about this, worried about that, worried about the election, worried about uh, what happens with the economy, Wor worried about, you know, where you're going to get your tires changed, worried about if you have enough gas to get to work, worried about this, worried about that. Don't worry. Thus saith the Lord. Right now we're going to gather around the table of the Lord, and as we do, I want the, these words to echo in our minds. And if you ever want to know how deeply God loves you, you don't ever have to look further than the cross of Christ. If you want to see the love of God poured out and his provision for you, look no further than the cross. And we remember that with the bread and the cup. 
the, the body and blood, those symbols of the body and blood of Jesus. And so as I pray, just call to mind that event, that earth-shattering, amazing, salvation-inducing event that demonstrates in full the love of God for us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, my prayer is that worry for all those watching will be taken away. That they would hear that marvelous two-word gospel sentence from Jesus, don't worry. And they will embrace it, and they will trust your provision. As we look at the cross right now, Father, with the bread and the cup, we trust you. We say in our taking of this, you have shown us the depths of your love, the passion that you have to see us and you in relationship to one another, and that you do indeed provide all things, all good things for your children. So we praise you for that now as we take communion together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.